I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. All right, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. <laughs> Good day, guys. And we're very lucky today to have with us Michael Smith, formerly of Critters Up Place. Welcome, Michael. Thanks a lot, mate. After four years, we've made it, we've met. Yeah, and we've been trying to get in the show for a while, and you're in WA, we're in SA, and we finally have come together. And you own Critters Up Close, which is a wildlife demonstration business, a bit like Animals Anonymous. Correct. And because we're not in each other's pockets, we can share all the secrets and help each other out, and it's been a good relationship, hasn't it, mate? It has, mate. We can share the good, the bad, and everything in between. So, yeah, 2014, we kicked off, and... um, and only about three weeks ago, Critters Up Close changed hands, which is very exciting, to an amazing owner. In fact, one of our incredible competitors who we hold in high esteem uh, took over the business, which, yeah, big change. What's it like moving on, mate? Do you miss it? Look, I do, of course. I mean, geez, I think everything reassessed during the COVID period and um, particularly having two young kids. It's, we had the opportunity to sit back and reflect on what we wanted and where are we going, but um you know, going into schools and seeing the smiles on kids' faces, doing those large events, and um, and more importantly, getting a rapport with general public who year after year come back and see you and know you and know your animals. It, it, it'll be missed, yep. COVID was a funny time, wasn't it? Because mm. we stopped working, and I know from, from my side of it, like, you know, we're working every day, like say, doing schools and all, all the events. It's, it's a job where you, you get a lot of gratitude. Like, most jobs, people yes. aren't... Like, if, if you go and fix someone's... I don't know, fix their pipes and their plumbing or something. <laughs> They're not following you out the door saying, that changed my life. You Absolutely. Know, we love that. You know, the kids' faces aren't lighting up that they can flush the toilet. You know, like, no offence to plumbers, but the point <laughs> is, it's, the amount of, it's an unbalanced amount of gratitude we get in this line of work. And, and I, I never really realised that until I couldn't do it anymore. Absolutely. And I think like many in the captive animal industry, be it mobile or be it, you know, static displays, a lot of us went online. And myself, I hadn't, I had not done a lot of work online, but you just don't get the same feeling. You know, we had the the joys of meeting people from all around the world in the UK and the USA. We were talking about Australian fauna, which was quite an experience, but it still didn't have that same feeling. You didn't see the facial expressions. You didn't see, you know, you're just really imprinting on the kids and you can see in their eyes, even though their parents are at the back row pushing the children forward, which is fine. Um, so yeah, it was quite different. And you guys took it to another level because you had a you had a, a shop, a mm, shop front, correct. a shopping centre. So you're still doing the mobile things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and can you talk a bit about that, mate? Yeah, sure. So just before COVID hit, you know, we'd been doing mobile for a number of years and you always want to look for a point of difference. You want to try something different and being small business owners, if it doesn't hold a risk, why do, they, why do it, you know? So... We, um, we engaged vicinity centres um, and we actually got our own shop front, which was a, a very small shop front, but we said to them, look, let us create something that's community. Let us, let us create something that is all about environment and nature and let us capture those kids who maybe, not, who maybe don't have a lot of time outdoors. Um, and we did that. We created an environment education centre. The bulk of the centre was built using recycled or reclaimed materials we ran a donation entry, whether it was $0.05 cents or $50, whatever they could afford, um, and it was a really good experience. So for two years, I think we had an entry, entries of just over $160,000, um, wow. yeah, which was really, really good. Yeah, it was a unique experience, that's for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So the shopping centre gained because that's mm-hmm. bringing people, like if, 
people are coming along to have because you, you've, you've hosted birthday parties and things like that. Yeah, birthday parties, school incursions, um, all ability sessions. So the ability to turn off all the lights and you know turn my, the volume down, including my voice for you know those on the autism spectrum and and create a real space and a refuge. Um, we ran what's called an SOS session, so schools out session. So after school, you know, the kids that don't want to go and play sport or don't want to do those kinds of things, who just want to be around nature, it was convenient for the parents to drop them off and go shopping and, and you know, we take care of them for an hour and a half and teach them all about, you know, the animals and they watch a python eat a rat, you know, all the things that us as children loved. Um, but, you know, I know in my case, my parents were never very environment focused. And, um, yeah, so we wanted to be the mentors for those kids and give the other parents a, a break to let them hang out with us. That's amazing. That's a really cool idea. I like that. Yeah, and it brings business into the shopping centre, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. it's a win-win. And it's not just going to like um, somewhere and setting up. You've got to think of all those, you know, if you're taking on special groups and things, you've got to think about everything for that as well. Yeah, it's it was amazing, which you would have to do as well sometimes, Adrian, but I don't think about that. That's really cool. Well done, guys. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, very different. And, um, and when we first pitched the idea... Um, to give them a plug, vicinity centres or Mandra Forum where we, we were set up, they were excited. There was no, you know, delay. They didn't hesitate. They said, "This is an this is an incredible idea." And but what was even better, it wasn't just the ability for um, community to come in of all demographics of all budgets. It also offered the opportunity to raise funds for other not-for-profit organisations. So we ran days for a local homelessness shelter. We ran days where you know, other wildlife carers, um, such as a pill marsupial care, would come in and we'd raise funds just for them. So it turned out to be a real community movement. Um, obviously, COVID hit us probably a year into that. So we did close the centre for a period of about six months. Um, but once again, it was a challenge, but it was a learning experience. We ran our online from there. People would walk past the shop front in a mask and wave at us while we're doing, you know, online talks to the States or to the UK, which yeah, it was it was really different. That's awesome. And, and like people that see you doing your job will tell you it's the best job in the world, mm-hmm. but they don't see the other side of how much work's involved. I mean, anyone that's got a small business that's listening knows mm-hmm. when you've got a small business where you, you get home from work and your tools are in the car, yep. you know, your tools are breathing, living things, and it, it's, a big, it's a big job, isn't it? And you have to deal with kids. <laughs> Lots of kids. Absolutely. Yeah, kids, you know, I... Can we edit this? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're spot on. It's it's something I didn't foresee. When I when I envisioned Critters Up Close and from its inception, you know, I still had that understanding that there was work, there was cleaning up crap, there was prepping food for animals, but I heavily underestimated just how much work there is. Um, so, yeah, huge respect. You know, I, I had the pleasure, we, we spoke before the podcast, I had the pleasure of... Um, meeting my mentor um, Anthony from Australian Wildlife Displays when I was about nine years old at the uh, Richmond Herpetological Society in Western Sydney and he became just such an amazing friend and I used to obviously watch what he did um, with his wildlife talks I used to think a lot of it was cuddling animals and talking about what you loved but yeah the work in the background is, is pretty full-on Yes. He's a, he's an absolute legend in the uh, in the reptile world. Yes, uh, you're a, yeah, you were lucky to know him. Absolutely, well. great mentor, yeah. an approachable guy. Yeah, which... he's really good. Yeah, and nine years old. What a what a cool guy to you know see something mm. in you to give you his time like that, and it paid off, didn't it, for him? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's um, 
Sorry about the noise in the background. That's a rock wallaby running around the house. That's brilliant. It's quite normal. Yeah. Everyone would have known that. Welcome to South Australia. As we said, you live and breathe. Yeah. You live and breathe. You work. Yeah. Um, and a big, big. Actually, I just got to go. You've got those. It's going to have to eat those chips. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that was almost a podcast that didn't need editing. <laughs> <laughs> and then in come the animals. <laughs> in come the animals. <laughs> I had no idea it was into the chips. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Let and the bird out, Adrian. Yeah, the <laughs> bird <laughs> um, And that, that amount of work, I mean, it's um, compensated a bit by the volunteers. And mm-hmm. big shout out for, I mean, we've got, I know you guys had volunteers at Critters Up Close. And we have an amazing volunteer team. And just the gratitude you have um, for those guys that come in and, you know, have that relationship with your animals, with each other, yes. you know. And and it's not just so they can get a job, you know. These these kids are, they come, when I say kids, I'm in their 20s, 30s, we've got a grandma that comes in and gets involved. And they really get a lot out of it. Yeah, I, I think with the industry, the one thing that I realised when I started Critters Up Close is, like you say, the amount of people, the amount of amazing people that just want to start um, the amount of amazing people who just want to help. I think the the challenge with that in an industry such as a captive animal industry is there are a lot of people that would take advantage of that kind of generosity. There are a lot of people that would take advantage of those people that just want to help and make a change. And, you know, I think that is something in the industry that um, that does need to be addressed and does need to be fixed. Um, Couldn't we, agree more. Yeah, we had a lot of volunteers who had come from previous positions and um, yeah, and they were they were pretty disheartened. But um, yeah, it, it'll be good to see the industry change, and and it is happening. Um, people are seeing that there is value in what we do. Even if you're a volunteer, you are the backbone um, of many of these organisations. And without volunteers, they just shut their doors. So um, yeah, feel free to tell them what you deserve, and and um, yeah, get in there and give it a go. They are amazing. You wouldn't get away with half the things that that we do around here. Like you know, with with everything that you'd have to do with the animals and that as well as your your daily education to people and that mm-hmm. you know you guys you, you you wouldn't have any you have very little life still now but you wouldn't have any <laughs> life at all if it wasn't for volunteers and that helps absolutely everyone but then your you, your volunteers are getting so much education out of it as well which um you know, probably way more education than you guys even think on a day-to-day basis um and then it leads on, you know, we've been saying a lot lately that, you know, if you want to get into a, an animal job of any kind, mm-hmm. the best way to start is to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so true because there's so many volunteers that come through here through uh, Animals Anonymous that go on to work in zoos and things. And it's because they've got that volunteering aspect to it. So it's so important and it's, it's awesome. Uh, and just having the ability to walk around today, you can see that in a property. Like the animals are amazing. The husbandry is fantastic. Um, you know, you're giving the volunteers a hard time. They're giving you a hard time back all the jest. You know, that's what it should be. And it's, no, it was really, yeah, it's refreshing to see. It's great. We only showed Thank you the good animals. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mate, how did you go from being in the army mm-hmm. to being a wildlife warrior? Well, for me, um, it's funny. As I mentioned, my um, when I met my mentor, Anthony, I always knew when I was knee-high or grasshopper that I was going to work with wildlife. Um, my parents told me many times, one day you'll grow up, mate, you'll grow out of it, you'll get a career. Um, jokes on them, I suppose. But I went through school, I didn't fit the mould, I didn't fit the, um, 
the way that school is structured for, you know, the industrial revolution and just forming you to be one thing. Um, I left school, well, I was encouraged to leave towards the end of year nine. Um, I actually did a chef's apprenticeship. So that was the first part of my life. I thought, no, this isn't me. And then I started commercial skydiving. I thought, yeah, I don't mind this. And then I joined the army where I served six years and, and I enjoyed every second of it. But there certainly was that you know, in the back of my mind, I need to work with wildlife and, um, and yeah. And then after serving, uh, completing my service in Sydney, I moved across to Perth and kicked it off in a completely different area. Um, very different indeed, um, including the animals. So yeah, it's different. Is it, um, so this is away from a wildlifey type of thing. Mm -hmm. Is it easy, like the, the regiment of being in the army to leave the army and go and do something else? No. Is that an easy for no, that? No, not at all. No. Um, I don't know anybody that had a really good transition back into civilian life. Um, you know, I learnt a lot in the army, had a, a lot of amazing experiences both here and overseas. Um, the thing for me was that they're incredibly good at conditioning you for service life, but they're they really lack on the reintroduction back into civilian life. So, so yeah, it, it was quite a transition. Um, yeah. Mm. Mm. Interesting. In everything you've done, mate, you're an extremely innovative guy. Mm. And you, you, like you said, like you didn't quite fit in at school in some ways, but mm -hmm. you really think out of the box and that's really served you with business. Like I've followed you, you know, since we've been chatting for, for many years and some of your ideas, I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, do you, do, you, do you see yourself getting back into your own business again down the track? And Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I think when um, when my kids are a bit older and um, I'm looking for something, hello, Wallaby at the foot, um, looking for something to keep me busy. Look, I, my partner and I, you know, Tyler and I, we've certainly got, you know, aspirations of working towards the um, wildlife care and rehab release and revegetation projects. I feel that that is something that, you know, obviously, particularly in Australia, where we're not very good at looking after our environment, we would love to get involved in. Um, you know, Talia spent a lot of time in Central America, South America, working for organisations over there, working with sloths and all these types of things. So, Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, got the wrong correct. one on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, so we're very focused on, yes, creating something in future. How that will look, I'm not too sure. Um, but, yeah, I think we'll, we'll end up there one day. I'm excited because some of the, the ideas that you've had, you know, I mean, I remember when you did the shop and we were super excited yeah, about that, weren't we? We was like, that's such an amazing idea. Like, yeah. Um, and to hear about it and to hear some of the things you did in the shop, that's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. I don't so know how you found the time because I was talking to you about the shop idea, <laughs> but we were, we were, we animals anonymous, you know, full time and all the animals. And then, then great, like, like running a business, a small business, hard work. Growing it, where does that come from? So we're doing that too. We're focusing on the property. I just thought that's too many things, but mm. so, yeah. it's a really good idea. I even had a shopping center on board that said you can have this shop front mm -hmm. for free, mm -hmm. and then I then I thought about the logistics behind it, mate. So full respect for getting it done, and it looked amazing. Yeah, what what an experience! And like you said earlier on, like you know your parents weren't massively into wildlife, mm -hmm. so you're you're being that role model, just like Anthony was with you, mate. You know, for those kids that come past that shop and. The ones that are interested, they, they turn their head and whether it's a crocodile or a bird or a mammal or a rock wallaby on the table, um, I might put him in That's another room. That's going to go really yeah. well with the, uh, Goodness the mics. Me. That is fantastic. Hello, Stylebender. What are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a two-year-old, mate, bumping uh, around. It's fantastic. Yeah, there was two. Like, yeah. um, there was two of them. 
the ones that are in the, yes, in the yeah. thing now, they were hopping around here. Oh, for ages. <laughs> I saw the video where they it was cool. That was yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're just was, amazing yeah. when they go. <laughs> they they are absolutely things. amazing things. I get so much joy out of that. And so pretty. They're stunning animals. Just yeah, a great nature. Really Cheeky though, you can tell. Oh yeah. But just opening up that shop would have like you. It would have created so many questions for you. Like you wouldn't have opened up thinking about. Um, anyone with disabilities, you know, the, the obvious disabilities, but then learning disabilities and things would have come later and then, oh, well, we can do this and we can do that. It would have just been massive. It, it was amazing, but I think that's the exciting part, right? I mean, in business, mm. coming up with new ideas, I, look, I can comfortably say 70% of the ideas that I put forward in my business flopped. Even if I sat at home and went, this is going to be amazing, people are going to love it didn't work but then you have those few ideas where you think wow this is really amazing and I think the concept of the Critters Conservation Centre when we set that up it was made even more incredible because once again back to Anthony and I will mention him a lot he was the first one to jump on a plane as my mentor come over and help put the initial centre together so he come over bought a drill and off we went so it was it was quite emotional too you know my partner Talia who um, you know, we are two peas in a pod, you know, we were just in there, there was me, Talia and my mentor from when I was nine years of age, wow. you know, setting up this environment education center where really I hadn't heard of any, anybody doing anything similar, particularly not in Western Australia. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a really, really cool experience. And they did chat to us about taking it at a national level and yeah, but at that stage we realized we were doing a lot of work and going in a state was definitely a bit more, you know, biting off a bit more than we could chew. So. Mm. What a fantastic experience, though. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you glad you've done it? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I don't regret anything. Mm. It's, uh, it's got me here in your lounge room with wallabies all around us, so <laughs> it's panned out pretty well. So, so WA, you, you'd be working with um, some similar animals to mm-hmm. what most demonstrators work with, but there'd be some standouts that only you would have access to over there. Yeah, look, it's the one thing I didn't anticipate. When I, you know, I grew up in Western Sydney, you know, don't hold that against me, no offence, um, But growing up in Western Sydney, my escape was going up into the Blue Mountains or, you know, going into different national parks and looking for, you know, broad-headed snakes or whatever it might be. I was out and about, herping, looking for things all the time. And then I arrived in Perth and realised, shit, there's actually nothing here. (laughs) So when I say nothing, there's an amazing diversity of wildlife. But in comparison to areas like I lived in far north Queensland for a while... Um, going to Western Australia, it is quite barren, it is quite dry, and there are some amazing animals there, but it, it really, yeah, was quite a change. Um, so I actually had to re-educate myself on the animals um, of Perth and Greater Perth, because even though we've got a shingle back over here, you know, the the bobtail over that side, you know, knowing there's three different subspecies living on, the, you know, the west coast um, of the bobtail or shingleback, it, it, yeah, it was quite an experience. Three different subspecies of shingleback. Mm, correct, yeah. So the Rottnest Island, the uh, Shark Bay, and the Coastal Bobtail as well, which, to be honest, even though that is, you know, the Bobtails or the Shinglebacks um, was where my love started when I was young um, for reptiles and wildlife. You know, I wasn't even aware that they had three different types over there. So that was the first thing we did was uh, Talia and I went out and found all three and we were happy. So, yeah. Some of those coastals are stunning oh. animals. They're, they're probably my favourite. Everyone raves about the, the goldfields. The goldfields phase, yeah. Um, but the, the coastals, I think, mm-hmm. are just stunning with the white bands on them and things. They Love are. Them. And yeah. we were talking before about how happy they make you. You know, as a species, oh, you yeah. walk into a room and they, yeah. they just make you smile. Yeah, we've got yeah. Uh, we've got five babies left in, in our, like, 
downstairs, but in our gym, Adrian, in our gym. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <It's> kind of <laughs> um, and we got a little little um, planter box down there with them in. And every time you walk in, because I have to walk through there to get to my snake room, and, and you walk in and look at them, and it just makes you smile. Mm-hmm. It just automatically makes you happy and smiley. They're, they're just amazing little things. Love them. They are yeah. beautiful animals. Yeah, singlebacks are like the reptile version of what a potteroo is, I think, in the marsupial world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what other types of things would you be working with over in WA? Mate? Look, one of the species that I, um, because I tried to wherever I, I could work or volunteer with not-for-profit um, wildlife rescue organisations, and I was introduced to the Western ringtail possum. Now, when I met my very first Western ringtail possum, you know, I just totally fell in love with them. And I always thought they were incredibly similar to the um, the common or eastern ringtail possum. But there are so many differences. They're incredibly fragile. They are a critically endangered species. Um, they primarily feed on the peppy trees. And um, although... What's, what's that? What's a peppy tree? So a peppy tree... Um, oh, jeez. You're the, Is that a eucalyptus? Yeah, I believe it's in the eucalyptus okay, family. Right. You may need to Google that one any moment. <laughs> All right, okay. but, um, but they will eat other browse as well, such as, you know, other different types of eucalypt species. Um, but, yeah, I just absolutely fell in love with them. So I think, you know, going back to the question you, you were asking before, will we go back into working with wildlife or back into business? If we do, I think we will with a focus on that species. Um, because they really do need help. So yeah. so they're like the regular ringtail possum mm-hmm. most people would know, but they're black, aren't they? Yeah, correct. They're, they're really dark in colour, and, um, yeah, they're really yeah, really quite amazing. Oh, Agonis flexuosa. Mm. So what family does that one fall? That is in the eucalyptus family, Agonis flexuosa. Yeah. Oh, it's just a peppermint tree. A pep- yeah, peppermint or peppy tree, yeah. Yep. Yeah, cool. Mm. WA, we just abbreviate everything. (laughs) There's a black form of ringtail possum, and somebody took a photo of a black form of ringtail possum here in the Laid Hills, and they went, what's that? It's a bit different. And they went to the museum, and um, one of my mates was working, and they showed him, and he said, oh, that's a Western... He looked it up. It's a Western ringtail. You've got the the common ringtail, and that's grey. It's a Western ringtail possum. So then there's... Then that gets around that there's a Western ringtail possum in the Laid Hills, and of course... It's not because it's a black form. Obviously, he'd forgotten the black form, but that's out and about now. So there are people that are that they'll swear black and blue that that's a Western ringtail. It is critically endangered, absolutely disjunct by three thousand k's or whatever. Fantastic <laughs> ringtail possum. It's not, but yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm just looking at pictures of the Western ringtail possum. Is it a ringtail possums everywhere? Just one of the cutest animals you'll ever see. Oh, hands down. Like even the ones hands here, like mm. they're just stunning little fat things, aren't they? Mm. Love them. Yeah, they're nice. Steve's got one that lives just above his door. Yeah. Really, <laughs> where, where there's a, like a, is it like a brick missing? It's like, or a, like well, that? The, the, the outer layer of bricks and then at the top it's kind of got a board that's set back yep. and then the roof on top of that and it sits up on that ledge. If it's a rainy day or a really hot day, it sits up on it's, that ledge. <laughs> that's brilliant. And he's got <laughs> nesting boxes all around. Everywhere. And not a not sits, a possum in them. Sits up there. Just wants to be close to yeah. you. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's... <laughs> don't blame it. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. With snakes. <laughs> With what a stupid possum. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably why the western ringtail possum is critically endangered, because they too... Just hang out with predatory animals. Or you'll be walking through areas. There's a beautiful area that I won't name, but um, I'll say it's in a Margaret River region in Western Australia. Oh, it's named And it. It, has a, <laughs> <laughs> it has a huge population. Well, when I say huge, it's got quite a dense population of the Western ringtail possums. And you will literally walk through there at nighttime and they will come down and reach out for you. 
So their predatory response is absolutely terrible, which may contribute to the critically endangered status. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I wonder why. I mean, you hear about it in some islands where there are no mm-hmm. predators and, you know, when the Europeans get there, the birds just walk right up to them. And yeah, they just yeah. do, they're doing things like snap a bird's leg mm-hmm. and all the other birds would just come up to it. So they'd snap, and they just, and then there's, there's dinner, you know, like because they didn't have predators. Yep. I wonder, you I mean, mm. you guys have got quails over there? and mm. Yeah, we do. Well, you've yeah. got western quails, but... Yep, we've got fascigales everywhere as well. You know, we've got a whole range of different critters, but they just, I don't know, they're very approachable. Power, power to them, you know. <laughs> reaching out. They're very approachable. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, and just because Steve's here, you've also got the Pilbara olive python, haven't you? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so um, you've got the Olivaceous baroni, and um, believe it or not, the, the population of them is actually situated right in amongst a, a large mine as well, so that's fantastic. So I actually had a baroni. Um, so unfortunately, an Australia Post worker received a box for an overseas shipment um, which was moving and um, it was referred to uh, Parks and Wildlife and inside they actually found a large olive python stuffed inside so um, he was with us for approximately five years and unfortunately we lost him due to natural causes but just such a beautiful natured animal absolutely Mm. incredible Uh, about eight and a half foot in length um, you know, the only concern, of course, with an animal like that is, as you'd know, Adrian, when you go to do an event and they like to set you up next to the petting farm and we'd have to fondly <laughs> sort of tell them that maybe that's not the best spot unless we want to cover the food chain. Pro-predator protocol. Correct, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What's the problem with that then? <laughs> they say any exposure is good exposure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. tonight on National Night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've actually, you've got... So over there, python-wise, you've got both olives. You've got mm-hmm. blackheads, pilbara blackheads, yep, and the the, the, the giant blackheads as well. Yeah, like, because pilbara blackheads are quite small. Yeah, they are. Yeah, mm. when I I actually had one of those for a period for education, and I was waiting for it to grow, when it just didn't grow. They don't grow. So, no, no, it no just I've got of, adults that are, yeah. I I bred, and I've just bred again. Um, yeah, and the adults that are the same age as my Northern Territory blackheads, mm-hmm. and they get fed. On a yep. regular basis, the equivalent size food for the equivalent size snake, and uh, you, you'd think that they were yearlings, maybe two-year-old <laughs> Northern Territory type blackheads, like they yep. just don't grow. Yeah, it'll be interesting actually to follow mm. that and see. I mean, as you know, there's python species, you know, even ones in WA that are spoken about regularly, you know, um, Stimson's pythons and, mm. and things like that. So, yeah, it is it is quite interesting. Un- unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity. I've been as far north as as Broome. I haven't actually been up into Kimberley yet, so. Can you believe it? I've been in WA for about nine years and I still haven't reached the Kimberley. So. It's a long way. It's a long way. Everywhere's a long way in Western. You go, <laughs> go to the shops, it's four hours return yeah, trip. So, right. I mean, every everything's a long way in WA. Yeah. Mm. And you're quite south. Are you You're south of Perth? Correct. Yeah, yeah I'm south of Perth. Yeah, we're, we're the Mexico of WA. Mm. Um, but I like it there. That's good. Mm. Have you been down to Two People's Bay in that, that area? I haven't. No. So obviously I'm the least travelled travelled person in Western Australia. So. It's it's, a, it's almost half the country. So you know, be easy on yourself. It's, yeah. it's a massive place, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll make it to Adelaide, but yeah, not to. Uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many people have been to Bali but never been to like the Grampians or the Blue Mountains or oh, you know, the Flinders or so something? So many, you know? especially in Perth. Like everyone goes to Bali when they holiday. Perth, it is a rite of passage. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's. 
when I arrived in Perth, I heard a lot about FIFO. I'm like, what, what is FIFO? The old fly and fly out. And most of them live in Bali and just work in WA yeah, do, and fly yeah, and live yeah. in Bali. Mm. Which, yeah. yeah, I can Crazy. see pros. Cheap, cheap living. So one day yeah. we'll all head up to the Kimberleys and see rough scale pythons. Absolutely. We'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's on the cards. And Monjons. And Monjons, yeah. And Monjons. Yep. The um, smallest rock wallaby in the world. We mentioned that the other day, didn't we? When we had your mate Matt on. Somerville. Matt yeah, Somerville. He's, and he's he's he said. Guy. Yeah. Well, he had seen Monjons because he said yeah, he went to yeah. the Kimberleys to look for rough scale pythons. And I was about to tell him because it's something that I've only recently learned about, like this. Well, I think there's around 15, 17 rock wallabies, and the Monjon's the smallest one. Yeah, it's about right. a kilo. And and I was telling him about it when he was looking at Stylebender, mentioning the Kimberleys. Stylebender's my, my yellow foot um, that's in the house at the moment. And he said, oh, yeah, we saw Monjon's. And, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, only about, um, I think it was about 12 months ago, I took my kids camping in an area called Collie, so... Um, south of Perth, inland, um, and we're out, you know, spotlighting at night, which we always do. And my son, you know, he, he said, "Dad, look, there's a there's a quokka." I said, oh, no, "It's not a quokka." And lo and behold, there was a quokka. Yeah, mainland quokka sitting in collie, and yeah, it was fantastic. It, wow. You know, quokka one second, a kidna the next. It's yeah, one of my favourites, echidnas. But um, yeah, yeah, echidnas fascinate me. Oh, they're incredible. But the quokkas are in highly endangered, aren't they, on mainland or? Yeah, the mainland the mainland quokka population is not very high. You go to places like Rottnest, as you'd be aware. Um, now, I witnessed something um, pretty incredible on Rottnest Island. So, being an island, and obviously they um, they have no foxes and they have no cats. And I thought, oh, you know, it's a pretty safe population. But last time I was on Rottnest Island, I witnessed a raven plucking the joeys and flying off with joey quokkas mm, wow. wow that was quite amazing and the and as you know the incredible thing is as soon as the threat comes in mum just offloads the baby and says thanks for coming Go. yeah yeah there's, mm. there's lunch i mean i guess it's probably good that they have a predator mm, yes i mean as horrible as that is it's gruesome as that is i think they've Keeps got they've balance. got a lot there haven't they? Um, they have a lot yeah, they do have a lot. I don't know what the what the numbers are over mm. there, but it is around the town centres. It's quite amazing. And Bald Island's the other one where you, so you've got the the rare ones in the mainland and then you've got Rottnest and you've got Bald Island's got quokkas too, hasn't it? Oh, well, that's news to me. That's fantastic. I'm so, learning yeah. a lot about WA tonight, okay. to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> bloody, Sydney, bloody Sydney people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you're a stronghold. WA is a stronghold for things like brush-tailed bedongs. Mm-hmm. You know about brush tail. You breed brush tail bedongs, mm, correct? And they were all through the bottom two thirds of the country, and just in one little pocket in WA and Numbats. Similar, yes, similar thing. Yeah, we um, one of our favourite places to go um, is out to a place called Dryandra. Um, that is a biodiversity hotspot. If you're ever visiting Perth, and they're they're investing a lot of money there as well, and doing you know a lot of night walks and things, and just the numbat population is going really really well out there. Uh, but yeah, Dryandra is a place you must visit if you go to Perth. Yeah, great. I'll do that. I'm going in December. We'll take you out there. That sounds good. I'm going cool. to, for, to to visit the brother for New Year's in December. Late December. Oh yeah. Mm. Going to see him in the New Year with your shout out to Gary. Gary Crawford. <laughs> you couldn't understand both of us together for When you were long. together, nah. Well, I can speak, I can translate some things. Like when he says room, that's like room. those little, the, well, what we would call room. Yes, room. Yeah, room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of great natural features in WA. Um, what about some of the wildlife parks? 
Yeah, look, we um, we had the pleasure of you know forming a really close relationship with um, a couple of the really great wildlife parks. So um, one of those being Cavisham Wildlife Park. Um, so that is a family-owned and operated business. Um, every time we go there, they down tools and they just take the time to walk us around and spend the whole day with us. Um, they're big supporters of what we do. They're one of the, the rare ones in the industry that are in it for, well, I don't know, this is live, isn't it? But they're in it for the right reasons. They've got a cause they want to promote, you know, the conservation of, of, of native Australian plants and animals. So they supported us because they know that we were well aligned in what we were doing. Um, I had the pleasure as well of being seconded for a couple of months to a sister park um, called the Bunbury Wildlife Park in the southwest, um, working with their keepers on captive animal um, management, um, animal handling, um, providing presentations as well to the general public. So, yeah, real diversity of work, which is great. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of amazing not-for-profits there doing great work too. Um, places like Kenyana Wildlife Rescue, um, Malubali, who were good friends of mine, who um, supported me on the beginning of my journey with a few of their rescue animals that were not fit for release. Um, yeah, the animals that I still have to, for t- um, to today, like my tawny frog mouths. Mm. Yeah, they're beautiful birds. I've been following their story mm. online. Yes. I love tawnies. A lot of people that um, see the tawnies, it's their favourite bird. Yeah, they love tawnies. Absolutely. The most photographed bird in the world. Really? Tawny yes. frog mouth? Wow. The most photographed bird in the world. Well, they are that, they're, wow. They're lovely. They're stunning birds. That, they're the kind of the colours that I really go for, you know, with the uh, the, the contrast, the yeah. browns, the blacks, the whites. and Yeah, I think that's yeah. brilliant. Birds. I'm glad nobody's breeding any other morphs of them to, to be different colours. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Can you imagine? That's the albinos. A, the, that's another yeah. whole podcast, isn't it? The pied, yeah. the pied frog mouth. The yeah. pied frog. Oh, my yeah. God. And we all mock, unless it was us who got the first one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, then, you, oh, look, then, you, then you absolutely, exactly, you'd carry that on. Um, well, I've got the screw gliders that have popped out the white tail, nearly yeah. half their tail's white. And I'm not really into line breeding and morph breeding, but here we are. Michael, it's really good to have you on, man, and finally meet you. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're actually a really great guy. Like you're rocked up here. You're, you're just super comfortable with all new people. Um, yeah, really good to have you here, man. And and Talia seems really cool. Like, she's right now into her art and things. So how's that going for her? Yeah, she um, – it's it's funny. We were out for a bushwalk one day, and she found a, um, a deceased monarch butterfly on the ground. And um, – you know, she's a she's a person that sees a beauty in absolutely everything, um, including me. Amazing. And she picked up this monarch butterfly and she said... Oh, we, we should have said something there. Yeah, right? you, oh, had, no. you, had, <laughs> you had your chance, mate. I, I pushed through that. Sorry, I saw sorry, you. Sorry, <laughs> Small window, man. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was still thinking how to say room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Talia actually um, softened and she watched the YouTube video and, and set her own butterfly. And now it's become her absolute passion. So she's engaged um, suppliers from all around the world who ethically breed and and a portion of the money goes back into um, different programs in revegetating different areas with butterfly feed plants as well. So now she's doing the butterflies and the beetles and um, and now that the borders are open and the country's open and we can leave WA, which is a good thing. Um, not we, for us. No, no. <laughs> You're coming in December, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> where, where we're going to travel to different parts of the world and see and meet these families um, who are supplying these um, these butterflies. So, yeah, she's a real artist and, um, yeah, which is completely opposite to me. I do not have a creative bone in my body. Um, so, yeah. But a person that I look up to, or 
he's passed now rest in peace Frank uh, Frank Schofield who I looked up to taught me everything with pythons and boas and like who was just so important to me he um, he collected butterflies he had huge amounts of butterflies he's got one named after him Schofieldy wow. so mm. if I could get one of those I should look into that and let you know that um, is what it is like the full name it's Schofieldy but whatever else um, because I would love one of those Brilliant. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Hit Talia up. Yeah. She'll help you out. Yeah. That's, mm. they, they're amazing. It's been incredible watching the process. And, and you know, like you sort of touched on, it reminds you of somebody and, and she's doing a lot of, you know, frames now or displays for people who have lost loved ones or, um, you know, lost children or they have a, a memory or a recollection of being outside with a, a loved one when there was a butterfly around. And it's 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 yeah. been quite amazing watching her journey. Um, in running her own small business as well. So. Yeah, those those sorts of experiences, those clients that you get, you often don't set out to, you know, that's mm-hmm. not your intention, but the business takes a you know, life of its own, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, you have an interest. It could go anywhere. You, you can't even think of the ways that something like that could go. Abs- absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, watching your journey, I mean, you're speaking a lot about my journey, but you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have, and I've followed you for many, many years, and it's... um. And, it, and it's really great because, as you'd know, you just meet, you know, people when they're, you know, kids, you know, really young kids. And now they're adults and, and now they're asking if they can come and volunteer or work with you. And I just I think it's a really, really incredible thing mm. um, to be able to impact somebody's life that much where it becomes their life. Yeah. I think it's really great. Mm. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I had a friend who used to talk to kids that had had hard times in life and were in juvenile detention centres and he would put his heart and soul into these kids and he was one of the facilitators there and, and he felt like they weren't listening. These kids just were in a bad, bad place and they just didn't have the upbringing and the mentorship. But he still put his heart and soul into it and he just felt like he wasn't getting anywhere with it at all. And then and there's overlays with the conservation industry a bit, but he had an experience. He was at a petrol station and this teenager came up to him and said, hey, mate, remember me? I, you know, years ago, you used to tell me this and tell me that. And he goes, it all stuck in there. And you planted those seeds. And now he was, he was a chef. He wow. became a chef. He was an apprentice, apprentice chef. And he mugged him? <laughs> well, he did mug him. That was, I wasn't going to tell that bit. But oh, okay, no. sorry. <laughs> um, but just, it just shows that you... Because you, you, sometimes when you're in the conservation world, it feels like... Um, feels like you're not achieving anything mm-hmm. sometimes doesn't it and it like does. you say when those people come back into your life and say that they, they've, they've changed their line of study because it's mm-hmm. one thing you said you know and um, you always got to remember that it's the words you say people listen and it can make a difference and it may not you may not see it even in your lifetime you know um, absolutely and I think the the word that you just use listen is a big one I mean we would often get engaged to go to what they classified as a high risk group which you know really irritated me because all they were were people like myself in year nine that didn't fit the mould for school. And you'll go there and you'll start a talk and you'll say, um, you know, put your hand up if you've ever had an idea, if you want to create your own business, if you've got a, an idea that's so far out there that mum, daddy or carer said, oh, no, don't worry about that, it'll never happen. And, you know, out of all of these talks I've done, every single child has put their hand up. And when you walk around and you take the time to listen and you ask them, well, what is it you actually want to do? You know, a prime example, we... A few years ago, it will stick with me forever, I, there was a young boy that put his hand up and I said to him, well, what is it you want to do? And he said, I, I want to be a hairdresser. I said, okay, well, what are you doing to become a hairdresser? Oh, nothing too much. And I said, well, I'm actually booked for a year to come back here. So in a year's time, when I come back, you're going to tell me what you've done to become a hairdresser. Well, a year later, sure enough, I walked in that classroom and 
there was a boy sitting there with the most amazing bloody hair you've ever seen. <laughs> and I approached him and I said to him, how's the hairdressing going? And he was doing a traineeship. Wow. Um, he was in year 11, so, you know, he kept going and, and yeah, was engaged for a traineeship whilst he was at school as well, which was fantastic. And I'm certainly not attributing that to our conversation, but I, I certainly think it, it does help if you just listen. Um, and a lot of these so-called high-risk situations aren't high risk at all. They're just people that need someone to listen and back them or just to say, you know, get in there and give it a go. Yeah, so. they've often never had that. Um, and someone to believe in you. Like even I left a, a zoo and I didn't like the owner and that's okay, I left. And I was between jobs and I said, I went home and my mate, my cousin was staying with me and he said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I had this idea about taking animals to schools and stuff. This is 15 years ago. Um, and he goes, oh, he goes, that'll work. And he, he believed in me and he went into his room and he did a logo he come up with the name Animals Anonymous and oh, people ask wow. me what it means I just I don't know <laughs> Dad thought it was funny so we used it and then he came out with the logo there you go there's your logo there's your, there's your, there's your name he goes that'll work I believe in you and, and I just and that's all I needed and wow. that's, that's what kicked it off and sometimes that's all people need is yeah. that one um, person to believe in them is there anything that you'd like to add in, add in there? Is there any, any other interesting species got attacked by a shark? Or? No, no. It's, I mean, it's been amazing. I just popped up for a beer and here we yeah. are doing a podcast. So, <laughs> well, we've earned a beer no, now. It's great. How about that? Um, no, it's no. That happy days. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. great yeah. to meet you. I, I love some of your ideas you've had, the shop and everything you've done. Like, you know, I, I get to follow you because of Adrian. So, yeah, yeah mate. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for all the input you've had into Animals Anonymous. And also, from behalf of Steve and myself, Thank you for hooking up with Steve Batchel. Batchel. Yeah. You are amazing for doing that. He's, yeah, inspirational to me. Has been for years coming from England. It was actually quite funny when, um, when I first met Steve Batchel because I, I'm not often lost for words, believe it or not, but when I walked into the room and he was there and he's wearing his flip-flops and uh, I shook his hand and said g'day and gave him a Critters Up Close shirt, which he put on straight away. I had my kids with, him, with me and, uh, and I... I was so lost for words that I looked at him and I just said to him, I'm so glad you're not a total wanker. Mm. So, yeah, that was a really good way to start off the relationship. It was, um, it was great. I think he appreciated that. But yeah. um, he, he was a great guy. He was our very first podcast. And Steve and I talked about doing a podcast for a while and, and, we, were, and we, we were getting the equipment together and all the things. And I said, we've got this gig coming up with Steve Batchelor. I said, why don't we make him the very first one it was, it, talk it about was putting worst pressure on yourself my life. Yeah. that was the only time I rocked up to an interview with a list of questions <laughs> since that it's just been conversation but Adrian um, you were just there you just said well we'll see we'll see and I was kind of in my mind I was thinking I've got no chance the guy's going to laugh in your face if we can get because I think I even said if we can get close to him like, because was, I thought he was going to have all these, but he was just there on his own. It he was, it was amazing. From his hotel, didn't he? Yeah, so and, and he yeah. went, oh, I'm going to ask. And I'm like, we, we ask, yeah, I feel all right because he ain't going to want to do it. And he walked straight up to him and you went, we're doing a podcast. And uh, and he was instantly, he was like, well, yeah, cool. Have you got the stuff with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now, and I'm yeah. like, oh, here we go. And he just went, let's do it now, didn't let's he? Do it now. he? Let's do it right now. And yep. it's like, it w- which was the best way to do it. If he'd have said, well, look, after oh. the second show, then we'll do it. And I'd be, have to be me. <laughs> oh, I don't feel well. Got, I've got to go home. <laughs> got to go, lay, go and lay in a room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lay in a room. 
Talk about, oh god! Talk about being a role model, though. But he, I mean, you know what it's like doing a, doing a stage show. Mm. Well, he, he was he was firing out stage stage shows back to back, and with that small gap in between, not oh. eating food, not laying down, he was out there with the kids yeah. signing stuff. Signing, and, yeah. Um, he was he was nonstop. You know what yeah. a you know what a what a guy. Absolute yeah, machine. And, he's a machine. And, and I don't know if he told you this. He's a bit of a sorry, Steve. He's a bit of a background. So me and him sat down, had a bit of lunch, and. Um, I was questioning him on like where did you start, you know, and do you know he actually he started with a um, a large tarantula collection in the UK. That was his thing. He loved his tarantulas. He said I had tarantulas all through my bedroom, and he said I never went away because I couldn't leave my tarantulas. And he said, but one day I decided to go away, and I said to my mate, "Can you look after my tarantulas for the weekend?" And um, he was telling me that one of his that his friend actually thought the spiders might like a bit of sunshine on one of the days and cooked his tarantulas. And he said to me, ever since that moment, I've never kept tarantulas and I just couldn't go back to uh, captive animal keeping of them ever again. So, yeah, Mm. it was an interesting story. Me and and Steve had something in common, didn't we? Our first snake bite was an adder, English Mm. adder, European adder. Fantastic. Both of us. Is that where the accent comes from? We bonded over that. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bonding He's way posher than me. He's way, yeah. He's way posher than me. He's, um, yeah. He was a good guy. He was a good stage show. I enjoyed it. I liked Mm. the... um, Big inflatable crocodile, mm-hmm. big inflatable shark, the smoke machine. It was, it was cool. He did a good job. Mm. Did a good job. I wish I had that kind of, kind of funding. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the world is your oyster, mate. You can do it. I believe in you. Oh, there you go. Look at that. We're getting an inflatable crocodile. Oh, well, shit. Steve and I, we have a three meter long fiberglass Komodo. That's our version. <laughs> yeah, that's of it, our version of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's all you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> It's a beauty. Oh, mate. Uh, um, mate, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to have a beer now. And, and this is, I, I just said this to Michael before. What happens is typically we turn off the mics and that's where we have the best conversation. Yeah. So you guys are going to miss out on that. Um, guys, thanks for listening.